1 Kings chapter 19, verse Kings chapter 19, verse 1, and it reads, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. The uh, New International Stephen translation says, I'm going to kill you, man. <laughs> and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. You know, a lot of times we don't preach the Bible properly and we don't realize that suicide is not an issue just in 2022. But throughout scripture, there were men and there were women that said, I don't want to live anymore. He prayed that he might die, and he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that you are a mountain-moving God. You're a way-making God. You're, 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 you're not an absent God. You're not an apathetic God. You're not a distant God. You, you are Emmanuel, God with us. So God, we praise you for the mountain that you've moved. And God, we look to you to move the next one. God, in this moment, we pray, speak to us, transform us. And we preemptively say that as you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, somebody shout like the preaching's already good. Somebody shout amen. We, uh, we started a series two weeks ago called The Lost Kingdom, The Lost Kingdom. And, and if you were not here, you didn't catch that message, make sure to go online and catch it because it gives you kind of context and mindset of where we are. But two weeks ago, we preached about how God has called you to have a kingdom presence, not just in the church, but in the world. Somebody say amen. God needs you to be the best at what you do, whether it's a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, an electrician, or whatever your vocation is. Your vocation is not just an income-making vocation. It is a kingdom-shifting vocation. Do you know the greatest people to evangelize attorneys, if that were even possible? <laughs> Wait, what are you trying to say? Is other attorneys... The greatest people to lead a doctor to Christ is other doctors. You may not see yourself as a pastor, but you are the pastor of your floor at work. And God is saying, hey, as you represent me there, I will make sure that I exalt you in ways that other people are not exalted. We were talking two weeks ago, and we'll be going through this series about how uh, the, the, the Protestant movement that we are a part of as American Christians came from a major church split. Back in the 11th century, there was only one church which would be known as essentially the Roman Catholic Church. And then there was the first great schism where they split off from the Orthodox Christians. And then there was the second great schism in the 1600s with the German monk Martin Luther, where he took his 95 thesis and he nailed it to the wall of the church. And he said, no, 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 no. We don't have to go through man to get to God. That we have access to God in ourselves through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and he began to, to spread, hey, we can go after God in our own relationship and in our own passion. And the Gutenberg press began to print out the Bible and, and people began to read God's word for themselves. And from that came what we know as the Reformation and really what birthed the church that we are a part of today. As we talked about two weeks ago, though. That, that in almost everything that man does, uh, we overdo it. 
When, when, when we try to correct something, we, we end up over-correcting it. And that's what took place in the Reformation. They, they looked at certain abuses in the church and they said, that's not God, that's not Bible, that's not biblical, so let's change that. But they didn't change it to where the Word of God was. They changed it to, I don't want to be associated with those that are abusing the Word of God. Be very careful when your relationship with God is based on how people view you instead of based on who God is. The old folks used to call that throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Just because someone is off doesn't mean you should go off the deep end on the other side. I could just go through a whole list of he's not a prosperity God, but he's also not a poverty God. Come on now. Not everybody gets healed before heaven, but he's still a healer. There's balance in everything in the kingdom of God. It's not one extreme or the other. One of the things that the reformers and Martin Luther looked at and said, that's not God. We've got to correct that. It was a term called self-flagellation, which is, that's a lot. What does that mean? Self-flogging. The monks of the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th century, they would literally take a whip called a discipline and they would beat their bodies with this whip. This whip had seven strands on it and each cord on the whip represented one of the seven deadly sins. And then they would tie three knots on each strand and each knot represented a day that Jesus was in the tomb. And they thought that they were earning favor from God by beating themselves. Now, I just want to give just a quick pause. Anybody grateful that you are a Christian in 2022 and not 1422? All I want you to do is go through growth track. <laughs> I'm not asking for much, okay? Imagine you walk into church, and instead of handing you a connection card, they hand you a whip. Thank you for joining Union Church. Golly. <laughs> they actually believed that if we are going to understand Jesus, we've got to feel the pain of Jesus. So they whipped him. Let's whip ourselves. First of all, that ain't even working unless you're going to crawl up on the cross. So, And by the way, I'm always having fun just because I love God's word. I'm raising up a church that you love God's word too. Somebody say amen. Anytime you take one verse and you make a doctrine out of it, it will be heresy. Because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. They took the verse where Paul said, I beat my body into submission. And some genius was like, oh, okay. <laughs> let me beat my body. <laughs> and it became hundreds of years of tradition. I feel like we don't need a whole reformation to figure out that ain't God. But one of the corrections was that that's, that's not God. That, that, that's not what the Bible says when, when it says it's by grace you have been saved. Not of works. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. It, 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 it's not based on, on me sacrificing my life or me suffering. It's based on the fact that he was the propitiation, that, that he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the spotless, sinless lamb that took the sin of the world on his shoulder. And when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, it was finished. And one of the things that I find today is, we no longer whip ourselves for God's love, but we tithe for God's love. And we track our church attendance for God's love. And we take pride in having every dot crossed on our Bible reading plan for God's love. And we feel like the better we perform, the more he will love us. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I am not a performance God. 
I loved you before you knew me. I loved you before you even thought of me. I accepted you before you even accepted yourself. While you were a sinner, that's when I thought you were valuable enough to die to. Hear me, let's just pamp out for about 30 seconds. I don't care if you've been saved for 30 years or for 30 minutes. You've got to get a revelation of the unmatched love that God has for you. He said, I love you. I love you long for you. I want you. You are the apple of my eye. Look how well I took care of a sparrow and a sparrow will not live for eternity. Do you not think that the Bible says that he even hears your groans that you can't even put into words? This may be the only message you need to hear. God's eyes are locked on you and not out of judgment, not out of condemnation, not out of get your act together. But out of if you were the only person on the planet Earth, I would have died for you. Because that's how valuable you are. Hear me. God finds no pleasure in your suffering. God, 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 God finds no gratification in your difficult days. God is not looking at you going through a difficult time saying, yeah, now you know how it feels. I went through 10 times that. Keep your head up. You'll be all right. There's no gratification that God finds in our suffering. Somebody say overcorrection. So the reformers, they looked at this self-mutilation and they said, clearly that's not God. We serve a God of grace where we don't have to earn our salvation. It was based on the love of God. We don't have to work for, for God's favor. It's based on who his son, Jesus Christ, standing in our replacement. Grace, grace, grace. Somebody say grace. Grace is real. Grace is God. But grace doesn't negate the fact that everybody suffers. And the overcorrection was we, we stopped preaching about suffering. We stopped preaching about self-sacrifice. We, we, we stopped preaching about, hey, not everything in this life is going to be easy. And hear me, any part of your life that is not first defined by Scripture will cause you more pain than you could ever imagine. Let me say that again, because that was a write-it-down, tweet-it type of moment. Any part of your life that is not first defined by Scripture will cause you more pain than you can imagine. For so many people, our perception of intimacy was not defined by Scripture. It was defined in middle school. It was defined by some dirty magazine that someone stuck to us or whatever our introduction was. And because it wasn't God's word that introduced us here, 30, 40 years later, we're still dealing with the pain of a misintroduction. Because scripture is not what defined money to us, but the struggles of not having it growing up. We have a perception that money or the lack of money is the source of most of my pain. And the presence of money is a source of security and a source of success. Instead of having it defined by scripture, here's the thing. If the suffering of your life is not first defined by scripture, it will cause you more pain than even the suffering will cause you. For so many people, because we've heard grace, 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 God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Yes, he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But suffering is a part of life. And it's not cute. To, I, I told the team, they said, Pastor, what, what are you preaching about today? I said, I'm, I'm preaching about suffering. And they literally looked back at me and said, really? Can we get some happiness, some joy, some mercy, some, some something? I said, I'm happy to be preaching about suffering today. It's... No, seriously. If I don't have a biblical perspective of what I'm going through, something else will define this season of my life. And, and I'll begin to think, maybe God's mad at me. That's why I'm going through this. Maybe God's abandoned me. That's why he hasn't done anything about this yet. Maybe I've messed up. And I'm getting something that I deserve. There was a young man who was born blind and, and Jesus healed him and opened his eyes. And after Jesus healed him, they didn't ask Jesus, how'd you do it? You know what they asked him? They said, who sinned? Yeah. Whose fault it is 
that he was born blind. There's something about the human sinful nature that always wants to blame somebody for something. And when we go through difficult seasons, we first start with God. It's his fault. Okay, if it's not his fault, then it's my fault. What, what, what did we do that, that brought us through this miscarriage? What, what did I do that, that put me in this position of losing my job or, or having this sickness that I can't seem to find healing from or, or whatever the suffering that you're going through and hear me, if we don't define it in God's word, you will find yourself in a level of pain that no service, no worship, or no moment in God's presence can heal because my entire perspective is off. And at some point, you will find yourself in life in the conundrum of, I know this suffering is not my fault. Maybe the last job I lost. Okay, okay, okay. They got a little mad because I was showing up 28 minutes late. I mean, come on, I was 28 minutes late. It's not a big deal. <laughs> but I know for a fact I didn't do anything to deserve this. I, I didn't bring this on myself. This is not my fault. What do I do with this? This is where Elijah found himself in 1 Kings chapter 19. Israel was in a place where they had completely turned their back on God. They, they were worshiping idols, particularly an idol by the name of Baal. They were literally taking their children and making them human sacrifices unto idols. And Elijah, representing God, said, okay, meet me on Mount Carmel. You bring all of your prophets, and I don't need a crew because I got God. I'll show up by myself. And it says, here's what we'll do. Whoever's God answers by fire is the one true God. So here are the 3,000 prophets of Baal show up on Mount Carmel and, and Elijah shows up. And, and, and there, this is a different message for a different day. There is a confidence that you walk in when you know who your God is. We've got a misconception of humility in Christianity. We think humility and timidity are synonymous. You can be humble and confident at the same time. Forgive me, I'm not dropping my head. I'm not slumping my shoulders. I will look you in the eye because I know who my God is and I know what he's capable of. Elisha said, you know what? You go first. And it says, all day long, the prophets of Baal, they cried out to God, their God and said, answer by fire. Elijah, I feel like he was just like leaning on a tree. Just chilling out. By the way, the production team is like horrified right now. This is the definition of feedback, but they're doing great. Your God showed up yet? This is Bible. He literally said, maybe he's on the toilet. Yell louder. Maybe your guy don't got no ears. All day long, they scream. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the prophets of Baal, whoosh, 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 they beat themselves. Come on now. Somebody in the church would be like, if that's what they do to worship a false god, we probably shouldn't be doing that. So they cut themselves with stone, thinking that their God would show up if they mutilated themselves. Finally, they gave up. Elijah, <laughs> he wasn't just confident. He was probably arrogant. He said, let's make this interesting. Before we call fire, bring water. Because we know water and fire mix perfectly. And he said, dump water on the altar. Not enough. More. 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 Then he prayed a prayer like Jesus prayed. God, I know you're real. God, I have no concern of you showing up. But so that everybody in this nation can know that you are the one true God, can you show up? And the Bible says fire descended. I love this. It looked up the cow or the sacrifice, all the wood, all the water, and just let a burnt stain in the middle of the ground. After that, Elijah went and executed all the prophets that were turning people away from God. Come on now. Represented God to the fullest, to the point where it would have cost him his life. And you know what his reward was? It's time to die. The enemy came after Elijah and said, I promise you, before the sun sets tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. 
What do you do when you do everything right and it still turns out wrong? What do you do when you're actually standing up for God and they walk out of your life? What do you do when you say, I refuse to lie on this report because I'm a believer. I cannot lie and it costs you your job. We've got to understand that suffering is unavoidable. Write that down. That's point number one. You feel encouraged? Great, great, great. This is good. This is good. This is good. This is what I came to church for. I came to church to learn how to suffer. Suffering is unavoidable. And, 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 and let me clarify. There are certain things that is suffering, and there are certain things that are not suffering. Your flight being delayed. You sitting in an airport for five hours. That is not suffering. That's an inconvenience. It is not suffering. Going to a new barber that you have no business going to. You're just frustrated your old barber because he's always late. And the new barber taking your hairline back an inch from the inch that nature already took it back from. That is not suffering. It's an inconvenience. Come on now. Breaking the nail. Two days after getting a full set. Even if you bleed. That is not suffering. That is an inconvenience. Trust me, I know a very expensive inconvenience. Suffering's unavoidable. It, 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 it's a part of life. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable. Come on, Columbia. Come on, BWI. Come on. Somebody say unshakable. Unshakable and assured. Watch this. Deeply at peace. In this ratchet, I mean godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I have conquered the world. Here's the reality. Jesus said this. This was in red if you read it in your Bible. Hey, you're going to suffer. It's just a part of life. And, and becoming a Christian is not a get out of suffering free card. <laughs> there, there, there's, there's, there's some messages that are preached that's just not Bible. Can I give you one? Hey, get saved so you can get out of all your problems. Kind of. You're going to get out of your sin problems, but you're going to step into saved problems. It's like, it's like out of the fire into the pot. Now, you get out of a hell problem. You get out of an orphan problem. You get out of it. You're in it by yourself problem. You get out of it, that problem will not turn into a blessing for your good problem. But salvation is not a guarantee that life is going to be easy and life is going to be perfect. And if I could be honest with you, because some people believe that the first time they face a difficult time, their faith is destroyed. Because I thought serving God meant I'll never get sick. I'll never bury a loved one. I'll never get falsely accused of anything. No, no, no. Here's what Jesus said. He said, here, the world's messed up, y'all. And because the world is messed up, you're going to suffer. In other words, it says it rains on the just and the unjust. Just the same. Pastor, if God's so powerful, why does he allow suffering? Come on, you remember being in college? And that, if God is no God, why do bad things happen again, people? It's like the ultimate baby atheist question. <laughs> Randy, for you now. Can I tell you why? Because the world's broken. Who sinned that that person got cancer? Nobody. So the world is broken. That the second that sin entered the world, in came with it came cancer. Diabetes. Scoliosis. And earthquakes and tornadoes and suffering 
that is the cause of just the earth being? Well, why doesn't God fix it? Well, because the fix is not as simple as you think it is. In order to fix it, he has to destroy it. I can't just, ah, I don't know how we got here. It, it's, it's like cancer. I can't just go after that one cell because that cell multiplies. I've got to take out everything that will multiply that or it will just return over and over and over and over again. God says, I can't just deal with that one isolated situation. I've got to destroy the whole thing. Because the whole thing is messed up. Can, can we, oh, we gonna have some fun in the Bible today. Well, why don't you destroy the whole thing? Because I still got children that haven't turned back to me yet. Why don't you just fix it all? Because the day that I fix it is the last chance people will ever get to turn to me. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. God doesn't care. That's why he's not doing anything about the wars and the rape and the pillaging and all this. No, no, no. He's not slow, but he is long-suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that should all come to repentance. God says, I know this is some good theology right here. I know it's rough. I know it's heartbreaking. I know there's suffering. But I'm willing to allow a believer to suffer for the chance that an unbeliever doesn't have to go to hell. He's actually withholding his judgment so that every single person could get the greatest opportunity they possibly could to a saving knowledge of God. Hear me. We live in a broken world. Suffering is a part of it. I promise you it gets better at point number two, but it's going to get a little bit worse. Look at your neighbor. Somebody say, and there's more. <laughs> Suffering has nothing to do with warfare. Suffering has nothing to do with the fact that the second you declare Jesus as the Lord of your life, one of the reasons why we don't, I'm going to get in trouble because y'all going to think I'm serious. I'm not all the way serious. I'm partially serious, partially joking. One of the reasons why we don't preach the whole gospel is because nobody would get saved if we did. Hey, get saved. You get to go to heaven. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Before I sign this salvation contract, what's that fine print right there on the bottom? Well, it says the second you get saved, you declare war on the enemy. <laughs> what? War on the what? Well, well, actually, if you, if you sign here and sign up for Jesus, it means every demon in hell is going to be against you and you're going to decide to destroy your life and, and the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence from the day of John the Baptist and you're going to have to be violent if you're going to be a follower of God because this is not a neutral zone. A lot, a, lot, a lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people don't realize this. We don't, we don't live in a demilitarized zone. We live in a world that is a spiritual war. And the second you declare the name of Jesus over your life, the second you say, I belong to God, I'm living set apart, you go into the crosshairs of the enemy. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Suffering is the world's just broken. Persecution is no, the enemy's after you because you declare that Jesus is Lord. So it's no coincidence that the second that you made your limitless commitment and you said, I'm giving my money to build the house of God, that whole hell broke loose in your life. You, you, you put yourself in the offense against the end. It's no coincidence that the second you say, I'm hosting a connect group, I'm opening my house, I'm allowing people to come over so that they can find the hope and freedom in God that I've found. And next thing you know, all hell breaks loose in your life. It's no coincidence that when you take one step for God, the enemy is going to take one step against you. Somebody say, we're at war. I'm going to clean up at the end, Tim, because right now everybody's like, well, why would I sign up for that? You have no, by the way, just, just a little sign. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your campus pastors. Pray for your kids' pastors. 
Pray for your groups, pastor. Pray for the leaders at your campus. Pray for your dream team leaders. You have no idea the warfare that they take. Just standing in the gap and creating this space for people to encounter God. I, I could tell you stories that would have your hair curl. I, 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 I'll give you this one. There's not one person in 12 years of ministry that has worked closely with me that has not had a major health crisis within six months of being hired. Not one. Y'all, at some point, it's not a coincidence. When, when we said, hey, we're buying this land and we're building this building and we're building a broadcast, the first thing I did was get a prayer team and say, hey, can you pray for my family? Can you come? Why? Because every pastor I know, every time they went to take territory, take ground and build a building, health crisis, attack after attack after attack, because we are on a battlefield. And here, 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 I'm, I'm moving slow. This is good. We're going to laugh in the end, maybe. God said, there's two things you're going to have to have grounded in your soul. If your life is not going to be a roller coaster with every trial you go through. Can I talk just for a second? The suffering is inevitable. We got that far. But your life being flipped up every single time something happens doesn't have to be your story. And there's so many people. There's some people that when they're suffering, you know. Everybody knows. Why? Because they look different, they dress different, they talk different, and basically just get a suffering tattoo on their forehead. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> Here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm telling you these things so that the storms of life don't flip your life upside down. That every time you get a bad report, every time something, I'm, 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 I'm telling you these things so that there's not insecurity in your life, even though life around you will be insecure. Can I talk just for a second? You know what I saw in 2020 and 2021? I saw a bunch of Christians who did not know how to suffer. A little itty bitty plague. <laughs> sweeps through the whole world. I mean, come on, you read your Bible. It happened all the time. Okay, four times. But <laughs> people lost their mind. Come on, they didn't know how to suffer. Now gas is, what, $14? <laughs> Might as well be. Eloi, <laughs> Eloi! My God, my God! One little girlfriend leaves you. <laughs> Jay girl, you can't have any candy. <laughs> no, that's not your husband. <laughs> looking at you like, you baby Christian. Come on now. Jesus said, let me give you two things that will anchor you for all of life. Here's number one. Stop being surprised when suffering comes. I'm moving slower than I intended, but I'm having more fun than I thought I would. Some people's only goal in life is to get out of their current problem. You're only obsessed over, I don't have enough money. This relationship isn't working out. I'm miserable at this job. This kid is sick. Or I promise you won't. We're going to laugh at the end. You know what's waiting for you when you get out of that problem? <laughs> this is not a fun message. Another one with another name. It's on the same script, different cast. <laughs> it's just it's life. And here's what Jesus said. If you would start expecting it, you'd stop being surprised by it. 
And one of the reasons why your life keeps getting flipped upside down every time somebody talks about you or every time you get a bad report or bad phone call or whatever is because you're not expecting it. And just, just Jesus, not Stephen. I'm just preaching the word. He said, you're naive. You don't know how life works. He said, that is life. Stop crying. Okay, he didn't say that. I said that. He said, the next thing you have to believe to be anchored in a storm is I've already overcome it. He said, understand it's coming and understand that I've overcome it before it's come. Understand that trials are going to come and understand that you will have the victory in every single trial that you face. If you have a worldview of, I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how it's going to come. I know it's going to come. And when it comes, he's already here. He's already worked it out. It's for my good. It's for my victory. It's going to move me forward. It's not going to take me out. Though he slay me, yet will I bless him. Like Paul said, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven. If I stay here on earth, I'm living a fruitful and victorious life. It doesn't matter. I win. Somebody shout, I win. Come on, somebody shout, I win. You need to tell your suffering, tell your problem, tell your situation, tell your heartbreak, tell your sickness, tell your boss. It doesn't matter. I win. And when I understand that I win, I'm not excited about suffering, but I'm not thrown off. Too many Christians are thrown off when life stinks. Yo, that's life. That's life. And even in all the stinkiness of life, you still win. Second thing is just write this down. There's great reward if we suffer well. Suffering is guaranteed. God doesn't bring suffering. Suffering comes because the enemy is attacking us because we live in a broken world. While he doesn't bring it, he definitely uses it. If we suffer well, you know, the Bible the verse everybody likes to go, all things work together for the good. It's not the verse. Keep going. Of those who walk according to their kingdom purpose. Hey, God will turn every suffering into a blessing. If you suffer. Yesterday was my, my baby girl, Jade. It was her first birthday. And this little loser, she waited till her birthday to start walking. Like, I mean, every other one of my kids, eight, eight months, nine months, whatever, Jay's like, carry me. I have no interest. But yesterday, she, she, she's just, I mean, she, she would not pass the sobriety test, but she, she made it across the kitchen. She, she, I'm like, what is in that bottle? She, and we're looking at her like, oh, Come to daddy. And as soon as she, she gets to your arm, she, she don't need you to encourage her. She's a confident girl. She, yeah! She's clapping for herself. And we're looking at her. Me and my wife are looking at each other. And we're looking at her and we're looking at each other. And we're looking at her. We're like, oh, we, we should do it again. <laughs> look, look how cute she is. We, we should make another one. You know why? Because on that first birthday, you forget. You forget the 10 months of discomfort and misery. You forget all the doctor reports where you go into the doctor's room at six months and the nurse does a little sonogram and we're going to wait for the doctor to come out. What'd you see? The doctor comes in and does the same sonogram that the nurse did. And all you hear is, hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, there's nothing we can do right now. But it seems like your kid is missing a head. But okay. When... <laughs> what? You, you forget that? And you know what your reward for 10 months of discomfort is? Pain. Pastor, you didn't do anything. I just held her hand. Pain. <laughs> I can tell you the bad things your first lady called me. And you know what's wild? The pain became the most excruciating right before the biggest blessing entered the world. 
And what we don't understand is that suffering is the birth canal of miracles. That suffering is not just suffering for suffering's sake, but that if we suffer well, that there's a miracle on the other side of that suffering. And, and hear me, there are people that they live their life just trying to avoid inconvenience. I, I'm trying to avoid every difficult conversation, every difficult moment, everything that could even appear inconvenient, uncomfortable, or I'm and you don't realize it. what you're doing is you're avoiding your miracle. You're avoiding your breakthrough. You're avoiding what God has for you. Why? Because suffering is the birth canal. For miracles. Here's what he said. He said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, let this mind be the same mind that is also in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here's what Jesus did. He gave up his divinity. He took on the suffering of humanity. And what was his reward? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. On the other side of suffering, Jesus received the greatest reward on earth. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. One translation says, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. Watch this. If you avoid suffering, if you deny him, you will also deny, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What is that? Suffering leads to miracles. If we avoid suffering, God still won't abandon you because of grace. But you'll miss out on all that he has for you. They're, they're, getting out of debt is suffering. I'm preaching one, but they won't hear me right now. Swiping your credit card and not thinking about it until you're 65, 85, 95. Oh, what am I going to do now? That's convenient. Leveling up in your career is suffering. Come on now. College. Suffering. Master's degree. Suffering. Trade school, suffering. Apprenticeship, suffering. <laughs> I just wrote a bunch of ignorant stuff in my notes. Sleep training your child. <laughs> suffering. Some of y'all avoided that suffering. Now you got a 12-year-old sleeping in bed with you and you wonder why. I just got a little ignorant stuff just written in here. Sometimes I'll throw it in there, sometimes I won't. All right, we got to land this plane. So how do I suffer well? It's not point number three. I'm still in point number two. <laughs> keep loving God. Keep loving people. What do I do when I'm suffering? How do I step into a miracle? When you go through a season of suffering, keep loving God. Keep loving people. Many people have never suffered, even in scripture, the way that Job did. All of his children's passed away. All, all his possessions were taken. He was struck with the disease. And his wife comes to him and he said, God has a bit. What has your faith done for you? Nothing. He said, why don't you just curse God? And, and here's what happened. Job's wife, she got frustrated with him because every time she asked him how he was, he would say, God is good. Yeah. You know, sometimes people can be so spiritual, they get on your nerves. Yeah. Hey, hey, how you doing? God's good. I didn't ask you how God was. I know how God is. I'm saying, how are you doing? God's good. Here's what they're trying to tell you. You don't want to know how I'm doing. You, you asked me, but you don't got the time. And I can't tell you how I'm doing without the floodgates coming. So just take God's good as God is good. I'm going to be all right. And finally, his wife's like, why don't you just say what you mean? Your life's just curse God and die. Here's what Job said. Will I take blessings from him and not pain? Job said, I will not be the Christian that is in church celebrating God when I get a raise, but I'm MIA when I get fired. And it says, not one negative word towards God left his mouth. How do I suffer? Well, stop abandoning God when life gets difficult. 
God, when I understand you, I'll worship you. God, when I don't understand you, I'll worship you. God, when I love you, I'll worship you. God, when I'm angry at you, but I'm not allowed to say that because I'm a Christian, I'll worship you. God, when it's sunshine outside, I'll worship. When it's rain outside, I'll worship. God, I'm telling you, I am committed to you, and the circumstances of my life will not dictate the posture of my hands. I, I got to read this one. As soon as I'm finished reading, then you play, and I'll preach 10 more minutes. <laughs> Job 42.10 says this. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. One more time. After Job. Who cares about Job's friends? They did nothing for him but accuse him. Talk about it. Tear him down and make his life miserable. And God said, the second you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about somebody else, there's a blessing on the other side of it. How do I suffer well? Don't stop loving God. Don't stop loving people. Last thing, I'm not going to preach it. There's a greater reward there's a greater reward in suffering. Hey, there, there's, there's always a miracle on the other side of your suffering. Love God, love people. But there's even a greater reward than God doubling your possessions. There's a greater reward than doors being open. See, here is Elijah under that broom tree. Literally praying, I wish I was dead. God killed me. God sent an angel to feed him. He said, you've starved yourself, eat sleep, eat. Three days, he just ate and slept. That's a different message for a different time. When you're exhausted, you will over-exaggerate your suffering. It's not as bad as you think it is. You're just tired. Don't get me wrong. It's bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. Take, take a nap. Eat some food. It says he went up on the mountain. He went in the cave, and it says God appeared to him. Says Elijah wrapped his cloak around him and he walked it. And a wind came by. And as powerful as the wind was, the wind wasn't God. Said, and the earth shook, and as powerful as that earthquake was, it wasn't God. And said, fire came by. As amazing as supernatural the fire was, it wasn't God. It says, then he heard a still, small voice. And he wrapped himself in his cloak and he stepped out. And he had an encounter with God that nobody in scripture prior to him had had an encounter in that place in that way. And nobody after him had an encounter in that place in that way. Because when I suffer well, yeah, God will bless me. Yeah, God will increase. Yeah, God will. But here's what the real reward of suffering well is. I get to see a part of God. that I've never seen before. And every time I see a part of God that I've never seen before, I fall more in love with him. If I taught time to preach, I would tell you how the most painful suffering I've ever been through is when my mom passed away. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And then I would go on to preach how the best thing that's ever happened to me as a pastor is my mom passing away. Because prior to that, I loved God, but I didn't know that he was a sustaining God. Prior to that, I knew that grace was for salvation. I didn't know that grace was to empower the believer to walk through things that they are physically in case. I know him better on this side of the storm than I did. I love him more on this side of the storm than I did on that side of the storm. Here it is that we're looking at situations cursed. Why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to go through that? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? Hear me. God didn't want that for you. God didn't wish that on you. God's going to reward you as you suffer well, but because you're going through it, you're going to see him as a healer, as a provider, as peace in the midst of a 
storm. Do you know to know God as peace in the midst of a storm? You first have to be in a storm to understand that he is a peace in that storm, that he is a way maker. What do you need for God to be a way maker? You got to be lost before you need a way. Nobody wants to suffer. Everybody will suffer. So we might as well know the reward of suffering. God's going to make the enemy pay me back for everything that he stole. But I'm going to see him in a way that I've never seen him before. And I'm going to experience a love that I never knew possible. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful that you are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. And we sing that not realizing that we're singing it from the midst of a storm. God, I pray over every single person to the sound of my voice, God, right now. God, that's either suffering or has post-traumatic stress disorder from the suffering that they've been through. God, I pray that we would know you in this moment as our peace in the midst of the storm. Just we are with our eyes closed and your head bowed. If you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. As we close with every service, I want to take an opportunity for those of you that would say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in church. You know church. You know religion. But you say, I don't have a, a relationship with God to the point where I see him in the midst of my storm. And I want to. You can make that decision right now. But let me be upfront with you. Giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. What it means is you're not going to suffer alone. What it means is the one who holds the whole world in his hand is going to turn that out for your good. What it means is that when you spend eternity, it won't be separated from God in hell, but it will be in a place where there is no pain and no sickness and no suffering, eternity in heaven with God. You say, Pastor, I'm tired of doing this life thing by myself. I need Jesus in my life. Right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering on the cross so that I can be forgiven so that my suffering can turn for my good so that I can be your child right now I repent I turn to you I give you my life be my Lord be my Savior and use me for your glory in Jesus name Amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person that's making the greatest decision ever?